0: Fit, four, 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 four. Bigfoot Club. Four. Two,
1: three!
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bigfoot Club. Robert Jesse Dominguez, Ash Tucker, Chris Collins. In Robert Dominguez, Earl of Earl Kennedy. Believe in us. Believe in Bigfoot Club because we are too sweet. Hey, everybody. Uh, Robert Jesse Dominguez, Bigfoot Club Season 2, Episode 24. Uh, Robert with uh, Ash. Ash, what's going on?
1: Oh, not much. Just hanging
2: out, man. Excited hanging. to be here today. I'm excited too. We yep. have a we have a good guest today that I've been waiting to talk to and it's been way too long. Uh Eric Altman. Eric, say say hello.
0: Hello, how you guys doing?
2: We're good. good, we're, good. we're good. Is it is you said earlier it was it was thundering over there? Is it thundering over there right now?
0: Yeah, we're in the middle of a thunderstorm. It's just <laughs> we've getting popped up all weekend long. So yeah, just started thundering raining and lightning and all that
2: fun stuff. Um, okay. So if we, if we get cut off, we'll, I'll just edit it and we'll, we'll just keep going. We'll just keep tracking. Um, it's been like, uh, Eric, you, you and I, we've, we met each other like what, back in 2001,
0: 2002. Yeah. A long time ago. Um, I think it was, uh, in Ohio.
2: Yeah. It was, the I think it was the 13th annual Bigfoot conference run by Don Keating uh, and, uh, yeah, that
0: was a long time ago. Wow.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, cause I know, I know whenever, whenever we first met and, and we can, we can get into how you got started in, you know, the field and, and we can go back, but I just want to touch on this really, really quick. Um, cause like whenever, whenever I, whenever we formed, to uh, TBRC in 99, 2000, I, I remember I was reaching out to you or I can't remember you reached out to me. I think I reached out to you uh, over the internet, and this was like before, you know, DSL and fast internet and stuff like that. So they, like, like fa- the, yeah, Facebook. Like did, that
1: art bell we were watching all the other day. It's like I got to disconnect from this interview so I can look at this website, <laughs> and then I'll call you back.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I know. I think I reached out to you, and I think we were conversing before we went to Newcomers Town, uh, Don Kidding's uh, Bigfoot Conference, and because I, I, and then like because whenever I showed up. Uh, you yelled out my name and we ran and, you know, almost like embrace or something. <laughs> do you, do you recall that? Yeah, it was,
0: yeah, it was cool because uh, we, we did talk online and um, I didn't know many people back then cause the internet was just really coming into its own. Yeah. And uh, you know, we chatted and I knew you were part of the TBRC with Craig and Luke and, and all those good guys down there in Texas. And mm-hmm. uh, we chatted on there and then I didn't expect to see you in Ohio and you showed up and man, it was like yeah, uh, good to meet you for the first time. So yeah. Yeah, I remember that, yeah.
2: Man, I, I, I'm telling you right now, I think I had uh, I had good feelings whenever I first started, um, you know, in, in the Bigfoot community because I met you, I met uh, Mike Frizzell and the uh, Enigma Project guys. Do you remember, yep. do you remember Yeah, that I haven't
0: guy? talked. Yeah, I haven't talked to Mike. It's been in a, a few years. Um, I know he was real heavy into. The whole Enigma project. Um, him and his group were yeah. doing great things down in Maryland, and then they kind of we kind of lost touch after a while. And uh, I know he had some health issues, so I don't know if he's still doing it or not. I, it's been a few years since I've talked to Mike.
2: Yeah, I mean it was a it was a good group of guys. I remember meeting at Don Keen's and uh, Mark Mark DeWorth. I met Mark DeWorth, and I met uh, uh, Larry Lunn. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of good people, and it was like for the first time I actually got into Bigfoot stuff. I thought it was really good because I got to meet really, really good people, not in like the state of Texas, but up with other States and other communities. So it was, it was really, really cool. Whenever I, I got a chance to meet you and your group, you had an amazing group back then and just wanted to.
0: Yeah. It's back in the good old days when, when things were much smaller than they are now. And, uh, yeah, you got to know people on a first name basis and talk with them. And there were a lot of really good folks in, Really, not. I wouldn't say the start of Bigfooting, but kind of like the the internet started Bigfooting, where these little communities were coming together and the groups were being formed and whatnot. And yeah, There was some really good people back then, and now it's just so overwhelmed with because of social media. There's so many groups and so many researchers. I don't even know maybe eighty percent of who's out there now.
2: Yeah. So same here, same here. Um, I was I was going to tell you I did listen to you're talking with Jericho episode mm-hmm. in 2014. That was really neat, man. I was like, Oh my God, I didn't realize you were on there. So I was like, Jer- Jericho. I was like, I, most people who know me, I'm a huge wrestling fan. And, and you got to go on Chris Jericho. I said, Oh my God. How did, how did it come about? If you don't mind. Oh no, not at all.
0: Um, yeah. Chris is a really cool guy. Um, I got a chance to meet him um, through social media. Thanks to Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis of darkness radio. And, I was doing a segment with them called monster watch where once a month I would come on the show and I would read cryptozoology news stories, and we discuss them if they, you know, if I thought they were real or if I thought they were fake or Mm -hmm. we'd have some good laughs and uh, Tim introduced me to, to, to Chris and Chris reached out to me one day out of the blue and said, Hey man, I've got this talk is Jericho podcast and I'd love to have you on to talk about Bigfoot. Apparently he was real big into ghost hunting and the paranormal UFOs, and and, and he wanted to talk about Bigfoot. So I was like, sure, I'll be happy to come on. And we had a great great talk. Um, I haven't talked to Chris, it's been a couple of years, because as you know, he's really branched out now with AEW Wrestling, and uh, his career's really taken off, and he's quite busy with doing these, with um, Fuzzy, his group Fuzzy, that he sings with. And so he's he's super busy, but um, I followed him for a while on his podcast, and we kept in touch. We chatted every so often, and uh, it was a fun experience. Uh, Chris is a really fun guy, and uh, yeah, really down to earth.
2: Yeah, that was like that's super amazing. I said, "Oh my god, he he gets to talk about wrestling, uh, talk to a wrestler, and Bigfoot." <laughs> so I was like,
0: "That <laughs> yeah, was pretty cool, man. Yeah. It,
2: was, it was cool." Um, hey, I just want to. I just wanted to also. Um, what got you into the cryptozoology and Bigfoot and paranormal UFO stuff? And what, what got your fires burning way back then?
0: Well, when I was a kid, I was a big fan of, um, the B horror films like, you know, um, Godzilla versus Mothra and those, those types of monster movies. And, mm-hmm. you know, Abbot me meet Frankenstein. Those fun kind of cheesy horror movies. And, um, a couple of films came out in, uh, early 1970s, I didn't get to see them until 1980, of course. But those being The Legend of Boggy Creek, which was filmed down near Neck of the Woods, and um, Creek from Black Lake, which was a fictional movie, which was uh, filmed at Caddo Lake. So those really, really blew my mind, and especially Boggy Creek, because it was, as you know, it was supposed to be a, a docudrama mm. based on, you know, actual settings that took place around South Arkansas and, and down, you know, near Louisiana, Texas... Arkansas, that, that whole area right in there, and I was just blown away by it. And I thought, man, that'd be so cool if there was really like a, a hairy creature running around the swamps. So I went to my library, and uh, I found a couple books on the subject written by John Green and John Napier and, and a few others, and I was, I was enthralled. And I started reading these books, and I'm like, wow, there's actually people that, from all over the country that are seeing this thing, and I wanted to learn more, so I started reading books newspapers, magazine articles. And I was actually stunned to find out there were sightings here in my home state of Pennsylvania that took place, you know, going way back in the 1950s and 60s. And as most recent, like I was in 1980, I started reading about this stuff, but there were sightings that were taking place a few miles from where I was living at and with my parents. And I was just absolutely hooked. I wanted to learn as much as I could. So I started watching anything I could find on TV about Bigfoot, about, uh, any kind of strange creatures, Loch Ness Monster, the Mothman, the Chupacabra. Well, of course, the Chupacabra wasn't out until the mid 90s, but any kind of weird creatures I can find. Mm. And um, ghosts and hauntings, I was really enthralled by that. UFOs, and, and I just started engulfing anything I could find magazine wise, newspaper wise, um, TV wise. Uh, in Search of with Leonard Nemo was a big hit. Sightings, if you remember that show that was on Sci Fi Channel just anything I could find and, and wanted to learn as much as I could. And like I said, um, finding out these sightings in my state were happening very close to me. I, I was really excited you know, about the potential uh, of maybe one day myself, maybe seeing one of these things and, uh, read in one of the local newspapers when I was about 13 that a guy named Stan Gordon Bigfoot and UFO exhibit at our local mall, the green gate mall mm-hmm. at the time. And I begged my parents, I said, man, you got to take me out to see this guy and see this display. I've got to take me out and just leave me there for the day. And that's what they did. And I spent the whole day just going over all of his artifacts and articles and looking at his Bigfoot cast and, and just bugging Stan the whole day, asking him questions and, and just pestering him and not leaving him alone. And, um, Stan was very cordial. I mean, he didn't chase me away or say, get out of here, kid, you're, you're, Taken up too much time. He answered every question I had. And it really got me wanting to follow in his footsteps. I figured if this guy can go out and look for Bigfoot and hunt for UFOs and, and all that stuff, maybe I could do it too. So um, I just started educating myself and, and preparing for that one day when I could actually go out and start doing research myself. And that's pretty much in a nutshell how I got started in this Yeah, 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, He had these mall displays every year where, like I said, he'd he'd have these eight-foot-long tables in a semi-circle in the the middle um, food court or in the middle of the mall, and he would have pictures of UFOs and footprint casts and newspaper articles and sighting reports and all these different things that he collected and and found in his investigations. And I would just read through them and study them and and examine the casts and ask questions, and uh, he was, he, to this day, Stan and I still been, are still friends. We've been really good friends since then, and it's going on, gosh, 40, 47 years almost, 40, 40 years, something like that.
2: Wow. It's been a long time. Was he, was he at, the, at, at the newcomer's town, Bigfoot Conference? Um, I know he spoke there on a couple
0: different occasions. I don't know if he was at the one you and I were at together, but I know he has spoken there yeah. in the
2: past. 'Cause that 'cause that name, you know, it always it always like uh came across all the time. Uh, that I always heard as well. I didn't I didn't I didn't, you know, I never read any of his stuff or any of his research, but that name always popped up, Stan, all the time and uh you know, back then Larry Lunn, um Robert Robert W. Morgan, just those names like that mm-hmm. always always popped up all the time. Whenever I was like reading articles or just hearing on uh Art Bell and all that stuff, so Yeah,
0: as a matter of fact, I just heard from Larry not too long ago uh, through social media. He's doing well, and uh, I had the chance to meet Robert W. Morgan finally at one of uh, Mark DeWorth's Ohio Bigfoot conferences a few years ago.
2: Wow. So
0: uh, Robert's Robert's getting up uh, there in age. Yeah. probably in his 70s now, but uh, still very good, uh, good mental state and good health and uh, still sharp as a tack and really great guy. I had a chance to actually... Shake hands with him and talk to him for a, a good while and um, find out what he was up to. He actually moved back to Pennsylvania. He lived not too far from me, as a matter of fact.
2: That's awesome, man. I because I, I think he was he was supposed to, he was supposed to meet at the fir- he he was supposed to speak at the first annual Bigfoot conference. I mean, uh, Texas mm-hmm. Bigfoot uh, Bigfoot conference, and something happened where he wasn't able to do it, and he, it was um, his scheduling or something, and he never made it. And I I really wanted to meet him, but I I never got a chance to do it. So. But, he's a really
0: cool guy. Yeah. Really cool
2: guy. Um, I was going to, I was going to ask you, um, who else in Bigfoot influenced you to, to go this path as well. But I, I just wanted to see, I wanted to ask you that question.
0: Um, there's been a couple of folks that really kind of influenced me to, to, start doing the research. Uh, Dr. Paul Johnson, he's another Pennsylvania researcher has been doing this since the 1970s. Um, I followed his work when I was growing up too, reading about his, his cases and uh, investigations around Southwestern Pennsylvania. He was another UFO Bigfoot guy, like much like Stan. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: of course, John Green. um, I got to meet Don Keating in the late, mid to late nineties and became real good friends with him. Um, There were a lot of folks that that I got a chance to meet uh, just before I got into the field and starting doing this, that kind of encouraged me to, you know, to get into looking into these cases because I always had the interest and I always wanted to do it, but I never really get to I guess you could say I never had the guts to really get out there and see yeah. what was going on. And finally, when I went to one of Don Keating's probably his, I think the 96 or 97 conference, he uh, had at newcomer's town in a little elementary school. And, uh, I went out there for that one and I met Smokey Crabtree, uh, Larry Batson, Lauren Coleman. Um, and, and of course, Don and a bunch of other pe- other folks. I think it's actually before you and I met, but, um, I was talking to those guys and they were all encouraging. They were saying, yeah, um, Stan's a big name in Pennsylvania. Paul's a big name in Pennsylvania, but there's not really any other researchers in Pennsylvania. So why don't you get involved and start finding out for yourself if there's any truth to these stories? And that's what I did. I had all these newspaper articles and magazine articles about these cases. And I thought, you know what? Why don't I just go out, follow their advice, go out and do it and see if I can prove to myself that these things are real.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what I started doing. I started following up on the historical reports and, um, stuff that I had in newspaper articles and going to these places and trying to put myself in the shoes of the eyewitness to see what they saw and maybe, you know, experience what they experienced for myself. And just being in those settings was, uh, it was kind of surreal for me because I would close my eyes and try to imagine okay, what was this guy doing? Um, where did he see the creature at? What kind of experience? What kind of emotions did he go through? And I tried to tried to do that for the first couple of years. is just, just kind of go back and look and see if these places had changed much or, you know, if there's still a, a good habitat for these creatures, maybe they're still in the area. You know, basically educating and learning for myself, you know, maybe what these guys went
2: through. Right on. I, I like that. That's um, You know, it's... I, I don't know why I just gravitated towards you and I, you were a good dude and I was gravitated toward you all the time. So, I mean, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. Um, I was looking through your, your website, your Eric Altman at, net, um, the Pennsylvania cryptozoology society. You want to talk about yeah,
0: that? Yeah, that was, uh, sure. I formed that. Well, while I was doing the Pennsylvania Bigfoot society, um, I became a member of that in 2000, actually 99, I became a member. And in 2000, the, um, the director, Steve Anderson, um, he decided to step down and kind of pursue other interests. He really didn't have time. So he asked me to take over the group. And from 2000 to 2014, I was the uh, director or president or however you want to call it. I, I ran the Pennsylvania Bigfoot society. And I had a lot of great people working with me and and supporting, you know, as, as either assistant directors or, board members or, you know, helping me run the group up until 2014. Then we had some internal strife in the group and um, personal conflicts and, and that kind of thing that happens in all groups. And, and I decided that time it was maybe time for me to step away from the group and kind of do my own thing. So I, I stepped away from the whole Bigfoot scene in 2014 and took some time off for myself. And cause I, have been just gung ho the whole Bigfoot field for gosh, 16, 17 years at that point, and I decided, well, I, I need to spend more time and focus on my family, stop concentrating so much on this subject, and just and get back to doing things for myself. So I took a couple years off in 2014, and in 2016, I realized there were still a lot of people that were associated with the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society that really didn't have a, a group. There wasn't anything out there to really kind of guide them or you know to search for Bigfoot. And by that time I really wanted to continue to do it, but I also wanted to continue to branch out into other subjects, other cryptids, because I was starting to get reports of other strange creatures being seen like thunderbirds. And, uh, the dogman was popping up from time to time. So I figured if we're going to do this again, let's put together a a group that investigates more than just bigfoot cases. And, uh, that's how the Pennsylvania cryptozoology society came to be. And, uh, it's, it's a very loose knit group. Um, probably about 15 to 20 members in it. It's not a big group, but uh, we get cases from time to time and we go out and we check them out and investigate them. So yeah. it's, it's much, much less organized and, um, not as many, um, rules and policies in place as it were for the PBS. Uh, it's, it's much more laid back.
2: Yeah. I think, I think whenever I was with the TBRC, we were, we were uh, restricted on, uh, going to certain areas and we were restricted on, Talking to you know, or just talking about because I think whenever we first formed, and I know Luke could could uh, Luke Gross could share this with me as well. But whenever we first formed TBRC, we were we were always thinking it was flesh and blood, and that was it. And anybody else that came talk to us, we just didn't talk to them, or we took their statement, but that was about it. But I know Luke, since Luke left the group, and since I left the group, we were more open to uh, you know of uh, you know other other realms and other possibilities, uh, with Bigfoot and, you know, other, other cryptids as well. So. Yeah,
0: I, I am as well too. Um, the PBS was more in a mind frame of, uh, when we first started, we were more in a mind frame of collecting as much evidence and data as we could investigating the case the people submitted to us mm-hmm. and then taking the, the information, the data, and putting it into a database that people could use to further the study and, Um, the evidence we were trying to turn over to any of the scientific community members that we were friends with, whether it be Dr. Meldrum or Tim Cassidy or anybody in the field that we could have, take a look at any of the physical evidence that we collected. And our main goal was to prove this was a flesh and blood animal that it did exist. But over time, and the longer I've been in this, and the more cases I've investigated, I've come to realize that there's more to the, the phenomenon than just a, an animal. I'm not saying it's not an animal. It very well might be an animal. This animal has characteristics and traits that I really, my personal opinion, I believe that a lot of us aren't familiar with it. Uh, And what I mean by that is I I think it has abilities that we as human beings can't relate to Uh, as far as maybe camouflaging itself so well that it can remain hidden or having infrasound or, or, you know, the ability to put out some kind of, um, noise or, or um, some kind of audio sound wave that it, it may be able to emit that has the ability to whether it's cause fear in us or anxiety or cause us to become paralyzed I think it has a lot more um, traits than we we actually realize and, and there's other people out there who, who share similar opinions and I try to keep an open mind and I try to keep you know try to keep it thinking that we don't have all the answers for this animal. We don't know exactly what it is yet. So we can't rule out any possibility at this point.
2: I interviewed this guy a couple podcasts ago. Um, it was out in Longview, Texas, and he had an experience. And, um, he's, you know, he was a former wrestler, and he wrestled uh, Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. He said that uh, this thing oh, wow. this thing was, was two Andre the Giants together. Wow. And he said this thing was so massive and so big. And the thing that stuck to me whenever he said it was, when this thing walked back in like to the bush, he said the forest swallowed him up. And, mm-hmm. and he said that, and that always stuck to me. I said, I go, but it was really big. You saw how big it was. He goes, yeah, but you know, he, he walked past the, the you know, the briars and I couldn't see him anymore. He was like, sw- the forest swallowed him up. And that, that always stuck to me. Like, wow. I mean, that's,
1: mm-hmm.
2: was that supernatural? Was it, you know, something we don't understand or is it some kind of power that, you know, the Bigfoot has a, you know that we can't understand it's just you know yeah. it, it always that always intrigued me
1: yeah it could be or it could just be something that evolved into its element returning yeah. into it because you know i mean not necessarily i mean you know I've had my encounters but just like with a known animal you huge deer can be you know lying down and you don't know it and walk mm-hmm. right by it and then it jumps out yeah then runs off and then it's gone Especially in the dark, you know, when when we talked, he said his story. Uh, it was like at dusk, wasn't it? Whenever they went down there, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Just. Just one of those things. Just one of those things. I mean, it's going the woods. You know, people assumed it like you know you're just trying to fly a flashlight on something or whatever. That oh, we can see it, but I mean, not yeah. not really. Especially in the dark, it takes you know. Yeah. In in a, in a thick in a thick bush like that, you know.
2: Um, Eric, um, what's, I mean, what's the strangest case you've ever, ever came across? It, it doesn't have ne- necessarily have to be Bigfoot or,
0: um, gosh, there has been so many over the years. Um, man, <laughs> I've been in some really weird situations where there, I should have been able to see something that was right in front of me, but I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, we were in central Pennsylvania in a place called uh, Clearfield County, which is, it's in the north, I'd say the central eastern part of the state, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and a uh, place is called Rockton Mountain, and there's been a lot of sightings in this area for a long, long time. And uh, we had gotten some reports from the late 90s that there were been multiple sightings up there, which that kind of drew our attention up to the area. And there's an area that we would uh, frequent quite often because of um, our own personal experiences, and our um, uh, reports we've been getting and things we've heard while we were up there and not just myself, but other researchers and members who were part of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. And there were a couple cases, a couple experiences I had up there that still leave me scratching my head uh, and I have no explanation for. Um, I'll just share two with you if I can real quick. Um, One took place in the uh, fall of 2009 uh, there was a group of us and we were staked out on a gas well line. Um, by then the, most of the leaves and stuff had fallen off the tree. So you could see pretty well into the forest, uh, with flashlights. So, and I had a, an infrared thermal clear, handheld thermal flare, that I could see heat signatures pretty well. And, uh, we had set up these chairs probably about 300, maybe 400 yards from our, where we parked our vehicles. And, um, we were just paying attention to the night. Nothing was going on. Um, bigfoot related we heard some coyotes heard a couple of barred owls and that was really it and i had been to glance down the gas well line down near our vehicles and i thought that's kind of strange yeah. um maybe somebody's walking around down our vehicles. now keep in mind this is this is a good distance away it's a pretty long maybe 20-25 minute hike down to the vehicles and I saw this light and I mentioned it to some of the guys and I called them out. And I said, let's walk out in the middle of the gas line, leave your headbands off, leave your flashlights off, and just look down, look down the direction of the vehicles and tell me what you see. And they all said they saw this weird orange light that looked to be moving in, moving around in the direction of our vehicles. So I said to Dave uh, Rupert, who was with me at the time, I said, let's take a walk down to the vehicles. And, um, oh, sorry, my cat stepped on the remote. <laughs> Turn the TV down. <laughs> so sorry about that. It's okay. But um, I said to Dave Rupert, who was with me, um, and, and along with the other researchers, I said, let's take a walk down the vehicles and, and make sure that there's nobody prowling around our vehicles. Because we're parked off the side of a, a graveled dirt mountain road. Let's make sure there's nobody prowling around our vehicles trying to break in them. It could be anybody that was up here in the mountains and saw us parked and pulled in and started trying to get in the cars. And he said, I think it's a good idea. Let's walk down there and see what's going on. So we turned our flashlights off and our head headlamps off and we started walking towards the cars and we were getting closer and closer and we could still see this orange amber light moving around where the vehicles were parked. And to be honest with you, it looked like somebody was walking around smoking a cigarette and every time they took a puff on the cigarette, Mm -hmm. you know, that amber light at the end of the cigarette brightens up. Well, we'd see that and it was just moving around. It looked like it was floating around the vehicles like somebody was walking around. We got closer and closer and I said to Dave, I said, man, it really looks like there's somebody prowling around our vehicles. And Dave's like, yeah, it looks like somebody's walking around smoking a cigarette. And I said, that's exactly what I was thinking. So we got closer and closer, probably within 15, maybe 20 feet of the vehicles. And I said, let's hit our flashlights. Let's put them on right where we're seeing this light. We did that. And as soon as we did that, the light went out and whatever was there disappeared. I thought, well, if it's a prowler or somebody's, you know, creeping around the cars maybe they ducked behind a car or went underneath the car or something let's get up here quickly and check it out so we got up around the vehicles we walked around all the vehicles there's three or four trucks parked there looked underneath them nobody around uh, we couldn't hear anybody walking around there's nothing we're like what the heck we both saw the light we saw it moving around but all now all of a sudden it's gone And Dave's like, I don't know, that's, that's really weird. And we were standing there talking amongst each other, trying to figure it out. And his cell phone rings. It's his wife calling him, checking up on him, see how he's doing and when he's coming home. So he's standing maybe 10 feet away from me. And I'm looking around the forest with a flashlight and trying to see if I see anybody or hear anything. And he's on the phone talking to his wife. And all of a sudden we get this overpowering smell that the only way I can describe it is like horse manure and cow manure. Like someone just shoved it up your nostrils. And it was really pungent, really strong. And I'm like, oh man, Dave, did you fart? And he's like, no, it wasn't me. I'm like, come on, man, it stinks. And he goes, I don't know what that was, but I can smell it. And as soon as we started talking about it, the smell just dissipated. And all of a sudden we heard this something walking away from us, crunching in the leaves, the dry leaves on the ground, walking back towards the tree line and disappearing into the tree line. And I looked at Dave and Dave looked at me and he said, did you hear that? And I'm like, yeah, something just walked away and I pointed in that direction. Put our flashlights on, nothing. Put thermal flare on, nothing. I'm thinking while we're standing there talking, okay, if something had heat to it, if it was a person or an animal, we should be able to see impressions in the ground where it just walked, and we should be able to see some kind of heat signature in the brush in the direction it walked. We couldn't see anything. There was no heat signature leaving any kind of tracks or prints on the ground, and no heat signature in the trees or brush in the direction this thing walked off. Wow. And Dave and I just kind of stood there and looked at each other like, what, what was that? We had no explanation for it. We, we Something was just right there with us. We got this horrible smell. And then all of a sudden we heard it walk away from us. Not real fast, but just nonchalantly walk away from us into the brush and disappear. We saw absolutely nothing on the thermal flare or in the flashlights.
2: I don't know. I, that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, the second thing, weird thing that happened, um, this was actually recorded in a, in a film that was uh, released called um, Mountain Devil, The Search for Frank Peterson. And folks can find this on Amazon Prime. You can watch it. You can actually see the experience during the film. Um, we went back to that same Gaswell line a few years later. And we were set up down on the Gaswell line. And at the vehicles, Dave's wife and her two sons decided to stay in the vehicles and wait for us to come back. And there was a newspaper reporter with us and her husband and they were sitting in the, the vehicle in front of uh, Dave's wife's vehicle. So Dave was sitting in the vehicle behind them. Uh, reporter and her husband were sitting in the vehicle in front. We're all the way down on the gas line, a couple hundred yards from the, the trucks. And um, we get this radio call. Oh my God, you had to get down here to the truck real, real quick, as fast as you can. Something's here and it's scared the scares her so bad. You got to get down here real quick. And it's Dave's wife calling us on the radio. So we hurry up and, and run, literally run all the way down to the trucks. So and we get there. I'm out of breath. Everybody's out of breath. Um, and we ask her what happened. And what she tells us is while she's sitting in the truck, she needs to, to use the restroom. So she gets out of the truck and she goes behind the vehicle since she's going to the bathroom and her husband's standing in the front of the vehicle and he's smoking a cigarette. And she says something walked up behind her almost right on top of her. And just as she heard it come up on top of her, she got so scared, grabbed her pants, pulled them up real quick, jumped in the back of her vehicle, yelled for her husband who turned around and didn't see anything. And then he could hear the footfalls of this thing running away back off into the forest. And we were like, wow, that's really weird because of something like that. Something similar like that happened to Dave and I, mm-hmm. you know, a couple months ago, and she went on to tell us exactly what happened. Um, we talked to Dave's wife, Carrie. She said while she was laying in, laying down in the front seat of the vehicle, and her boys were in the back seat. She sounded. She said she heard something that sounded like these large thumps that moved by her vehicle. And at first, she thought it was car door slamming, and then she realized it was something walking by her vehicle. And she was laying down with her seat reclined, so she never bothered to look out the window. She just figured it was. Elise and Jean, who were up in the vehicle in front of them, and uh, this thing came up behind her, and scared her so bad she jumped in the truck. You know, in the truck she was with her husband, and this thing tore- took off behind her, ran back in the woods the same direction. We, Dave and I, heard it run the first time we had our experience. So, very weird, very very weird. Two things that happened at the same location, months apart, to different people. Were you out and
2: uh, were you guys doing Bigfoot stuff whenever? These two incidents happen? They yeah. Were, yeah, we're there to do mm-hmm. that? Okay.
0: Wow. Yep. both were Bigfoot-related events. And if you if you go to Amazon Prime, if you have that, that um, network, um, you can actually rent the movie Mountain Devil. I think it's available on Prime. You can watch the movie, and that segment where Elise has the thing walk up behind her is actually recorded on film, and it was added to that movie. So you can watch the whole thing unfold and okay. hear her talk about what she experienced it was pretty, uh, pretty creepy. Both of them were creepy, creepy experiences and I have no explanation for them. I don't know if it was Bigfoot related or like you said, maybe a residual haunting. We, we have no idea, but those were two of the strangest things I've had experienced in the forest up to this date.
2: Okay. Right on. Um, on your, on your website, you have like a bunch of TV and, uh, programs and oh, there's a uh, invasion of chestnut Ridge.
0: Yeah. Um, I was, film for that by Seth Breedlove Seth is a a director producer of a company called small town monsters and uh, he releases documentary films based on small town local town legends and and lore of of different types of monsters He has one on the Minerva monster in Ohio done one on the boggy creek creature Uh, he's done one on the uh, beast of Bray Road the dog man of Bray road and out in Wisconsin. And he did one of the uh, invasion on chestnut Ridge and uh, chestnut Ridge is a Western Ridge of the Allegheny mountains that runs through um, Southwestern PA runs through Indiana County, Westmoreland Fayette, and then down into Preston, West Virginia. It's a hundred miles long and about three or four miles wide. And uh, it's had a history of odd and unusual things happen there. Um, UFO sightings constantly, um, countless Bigfoot encounters, both in Westmoreland and Fayette County, um, hauntings, weird locations, just an, an enormous amount of strange and unusual phenomenon occurs in the chestnut Ridge. And uh, I'm sure you've heard of the Kecksburg, uh, UFO, five where the military came in and took something out of the forest in Kecksburg. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that's part. That's part of the uh, the documentary film Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. That's included in there. So okay. I was going to say that area has a long history of weird and unusual unexplained phenomena that occurs, and it still goes on to this day. Every year, we get reports.
2: They, do they tie in like Bigfoot and UFO sightings as well on that? Or yeah,
0: there are some cases that uh, Stan talks about and I talk about where there have been UFO sightings in or at the same location, either hours days or weeks after one another in other words if there was a ufo sighting on let's say january 1st there might be a bigfoot sighting like two days later or if there was a bigfoot sighting first there might be a ufo sighting a few days later weeks or hours or whatever but there's been several reports here in, in southwestern pennsylvania where both the ufos and bigfoots have been seen in the, almost the exact same location either at the same time or just not far apart from each other so a, those are included in the documentary film as well.
2: Right on. What other um, documentaries are you part of?
0: Oh. Uh, um,
2: Too many? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think maybe seven or eight I've been in, um, included in. Um, okay. On the Trail of Bigfoot, which was also done by Seth Breedlove. Um, he has a, a segment. Um, I think it's Chapter 6. He has eight chapters in the, the documentary film in, On the Trail of Bigfoot. I'm in that one. Um, modern monsters. I was in that, um, gosh, mountain devil, of course. Um, I've done a couple of TV shows, um, appearances and stuff like that. So I've done, I've done a fair share of different media appearances.
2: That's going to lead me to this next question was how come you don't have a book out, man?
0: Uh, I've been asked that question so many times. Um, and I have a lot of material. I have so much material. I could, I could easily write four or five books, but to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not a writer. Yeah, uh, I don't claim to be a writer never will be a writer. Um, I'm more or less, I document the reports and I put them in a folder or put them online. And that's the extent of it. Um, maybe someday when I retire, I'll write a book like Stan did. He wrote three or four books. Maybe I'll do that someday, but, I've got so many cases and so many weird stories I could share and experiences and it's too much stuff.
2: (laughs) I think you could probably do it, man. As much as stuff that you've been a part of. And I always thought about writing a book myself, but i mean, most of the stuff I've done is just mostly in Texas and, if I ever were to write a book, I would probably call it, you know, you don't know Squatch. <laughs> called, <I> <laughs> That's get, a good title.
1: You know, <laughs> so, hire ghost writers. cotton's like this is everything I want to talk about. Yeah, make it make sense. Yeah,
2: <laughs> put know? some put some periods and some yeah. commas in it.
1: <laughs> Fix this. Make it coherent.
2: <laughs> so um,
1: people do it all the time. These so called autobiographies. You didn't yeah, write that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Eric, what person? has been a big influence and this is not a non Bigfoot cryptozoology person. What person has been the biggest influence in your life and, and why? Um, uh, gosh,
0: never really thought of that. It has to be a non Bigfoot or non cryptid person. Um, See, probably my grandfather.
2: Right on. You want to talk about him a little bit or? Uh,
0: yeah, well, yeah. Um, my grandfather, he was, he, um, gosh, he was uh, in world war two, world war two veteran. Um, he practically raised me and my sister. Um, you know, I, I, of course, both my parents were alive. My father was alive until I was about 27, but both my parents were alive and he took us kind of in as his own kids and raised us. And we spent a lot of time with my grandma and grandparent, my grandpa and, um, yeah, he was probably the most influential in my life as far as um, non-Bigfoot or non-Cryptid goes. I just spent a lot of time with him. I admired the man, and he taught me a lot of good core values and, and how to be a, a man myself and, and you know, how to treat people right and do the right thing. So, yeah, probably of all the, the people I've got a chance to meet through my life, he's the one I most respect.
2: That's good to hear. I mean, that's, that's, he sounds like a really, really good man.
0: Yeah, he was. Yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away young. Um, he died when I was only 24. He was 74. Oh man! But um, yeah, it, it, was, it was kind of a, a shock at that point. But yeah, I've always tried to live my life how my grandfather would want me to live it and, you know, try to treat people the right way and do the right thing and, and always help out and just be a good person. And I've always tried to follow, follow his example.
2: So. You mentioned earlier that uh, in 2000, was it 2014? You like, you like took a break from everything. Uh, Yeah. um, What, what type of, you know, what type of deal or what kind of routine do you go to, to like, you know, to reduce your batteries to get back into, like you said, in like 2016, what, what, you know, what did Eric Altman do to to get back into the field and stuff like that? I'm just curious. Well, by that point in time, I'd
0: been doing it for almost, 20 years. Uh, I think by that time it was like 18 or 19 years. I'd been at it straight. And I got married in, in um, 1997 and shortly after I got married, I told my wife what I did for a hobby and, and she gave me her blessing to kind of go out and start doing the research and stuff like that. So I spent a lot of time away from home on weekends when I wasn't working, either lecturing or investigating or doing big camping adventures or outings or, um, things with our group, the PBS, and I dedicated a lot of time to the PBS, more so to my, you know, than I did to my family. And my, fortunately for me, my wife was extremely understanding and gave me the blessing to do it. But at that point, it was just I was so burned out and so tired of all the politics that were becoming more and more prevalent and bigfooting and um, the different personalities and, and that kind of thing. And I needed a break from it, so I stepped away. I left the the PBS and and resigned and kind of just shut off the whole Bigfoot world in general. I just kind of stepped away from it. Um, I didn't go to any events or conferences. I didn't lecture. Um, I just pretty much withdrew myself and just stayed at home every weekend with the wife and, and my son and just kind of focused on them. We did things together. Um, going fishing or camping together or just staying at home or whatever. So I spent the, you know, the next couple of years just really focusing on the family and not even thinking about Bigfoot at all. And uh, slowly but surely, it's, it's like a bad drug. Once you get um, hooked to it, you can't ever get away from it. You, you eventually get pulled back in, and that's what happened with me. But I, this time I did it on my own terms. Um, I decided you know I'm not going to get involved with a, a big group where it's going to manipulate all my time and take me away from my family. I'm going to do it at my own pace and how I want to do it. And when I want to do it. So that, that became my new mantra, if you will. Um, yeah. just you know, making sure I spend plenty of time with the family and keeping my wife and my son at number one, they're most important, of course. And the rest of it is number two, number three, and, and going out and doing things with friends when I had the chance to do it, when I wanted to do it. Uh, if I wanted to go out and do a, a Friday night or a Saturday night out in the woods, I'd say, Hey, my wife, Hey, I want to do one night this week. Or the rest of the weekend's yours. Are you okay with that? And she'd say, "Yeah, go ahead, do it," and I go do it. But I didn't, de- I didn't dedicate and devote my entire existence doing all things Bigfoot, and that's what I was doing before. So
2: that sounds that sounds good. I mean, th- to be honest with you, it, it almost sounds like we're we're like
1: yeah. But, I mean, nine times out of ten, I mean, not just with them and anything involving yeah. paranormal, or whatever. Most people that I know that have been in it for forever are just like, man, scare groups you know it doesn't give you it's too confining there's too much head button it's not free and uh, i feel the same way i wouldn't ever want to be in an official on an official team with like a uniform and all this and guidelines and because i think that just limits your ability to find what you're really looking for honestly i mean i like the idea sometimes to go in there and do your scientific method figure out what's happening you know prove or disprove and all that stuff but at the same time you kind of miss your own experience because it becomes so mechanical it just Mm -hmm. comes becomes an activity not not really anything i'd rather find my own personal truth and answers than to try to prove to or disprove something now anyway
2: i think um ash and i kind of agree with your um mantra now i mean because like we're the same way because i I was part you know, I was part of T B R C and she was part of her paranormal group. I later joined uh Paranormal Investigations of North Texas. I was their case director for for a number of years and just step just you know, stepping away from it and just like I don't know. I'm 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 kinda like in a fact now where I'm just like helping people now, Eric. So if people mm-hmm. if people need help I, I I'll help them when it when it comes to Bigfoot stuff and I'll if they need like information or who to talk to or who could go out there and look at their stuff or paranormal wise, if people need help, I try to, I try to get people to them to help them and see, or just try to educate them as well. And so I, I kind of mirror the same, almost the same thought thoughts and values that you're going through right now.
0: And maybe, maybe someday I might get back into the Bigfoot group and, 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 but if I do, it'll be much lesser involvement than I was before because, I let it consume me. And it, it's very easy to do. Many, many researchers who've been in this a long time can tell you, and you know yourself, yeah. it can, it can overtake your life very easily if you, oh, yeah. if you let it. And yeah. some people just get um, wrapped up in it so much because they want, they, they start getting some answers, but they have more questions and they want to know more and they, they, yeah. they get a little bit mm-hmm. further and they have something happen and they want to learn more. So it can take over your life real, real easily and real quickly. Mm-hmm. So if you have some kind of discipline, um, already set up where you're not allowing it to dictate your life, you're not allowing it to rule you 24 uh, seven. And even if you do get involved with a group, as long as you remember, Hey, this is a group. I don't necessarily have to be here in this group to do my own thing. If I want to do it. And as long as you're, you keep that in mind and you keep doing things the way you want to do them, a group's not a bad thing to have. It, it, I think it can be helpful as far as sharing experiences and sharing information and, and allowing information to come in. But, it's not the end. all be all groups uh, yeah. are not a necessity as far as I'm concerned.
2: I was also going to ask you, um, you know, cause I know you've been a, a part of a lot of projects, a lot of different groups, uh, a lot of associations. What, what body of work is you, that you find more, more satisfying or more proud of right now? Um,
0: I think all of it really. Um, I think all of it is a little uh, part of my life and, and, reflects on the work that I've done, um, what I've accomplished or what I haven't accomplished, um, what still remains to be accomplished. I think each of it has its own part to play. And I'm proud of all of it. I mean, there's some things I would change if I could go back and change them. Sure, I mean, all of us could do that. If we could all go back and change things, we certainly would. But I, I don't have any major regrets of doing the research for the last 23, 22, 23 years now. Um, I think a lot of it uh, has its own part to play in my life. And and I'm proud of where I am today and how I got here and the decisions I make now. I, I think it's a learning process and a growing process. So how we've have learned from the very beginning. And we, as, as we move along through the research and the study and getting to know people and getting involved with different things, we kind of evolve and become wiser and, um, more experienced and uh, we can weed out the BS and, and, you know, I think we're better off for the, the trials and the tribulations that we went through to get where we are today.
2: What would be your advice on somebody that wants to break into cryptozoology or Bigfoot or paranormal, someone that's up and starting?
0: The first thing I would tell people that want to get involved in it is don't just jump in feet first into the deep end. Um, Educate yourself as much as you can. Read the literature that's out there. Read about past cases and how groups studied them and the results. Um, Find some like people, uh, like-minded people in your area that have the interest and communicate with them and share ideas and and, uh, I would tell people educate yourself first before jumping into it. Learn as much as you can. And if you can find somebody who has experience researching or investigating any of the fields, try to learn from their methods and procedures. They may, may not be the same ideology that you have, but it'll give you a good point to start. And, you know, maybe you can learn what not to do and learn what to do as well. Um, I would tell people, you know, really educate yourself before going out and starting start field investigating first, because once you have that information information, that you've studied and you've learned, and you learn tips and tricks, and you learn about locations and what to expect, and especially with Bigfooting. I mean, if you can study Mother Nature and outdoors and wildlife, you can rule out so much um, by just going out there cold and, and hearing a bird chirp at night and thinking it's a Bigfoot, mm-hmm. or hearing a coyote howl and think it's a Bigfoot. So, if you can get that experience under your belt and learn, it's going to help you in the long run as far as your own personal experiences and investigations are concerned
1: yeah i think that stuff is just as fun as as anything else just figuring out what is doing what and why because you know nature just you just don't even have sometimes you even if you're you have experience you just don't really always have a full concept of what's out there and what's going on and what's making what noises and what's doing this over there you know
2: i totally agree um you know, getting to know your areas that you're going to research, that's that's always important. Um, uh, know its history, uh, know the Native American history, mm-hmm. uh, all that stuff. So, I mean, it's always good to get all that under your belt before you start jumping out there and thinking a barred a of, of Bigfoot or something. Yeah, <laughs> so.
0: yeah um, I, tell, I tell people, especially the newbies, get rid of the preconceived notion that you're going to have a Bigfoot experience reciting sighting or hear a Bigfoot every time that you go out because that doesn't happen. I mean, you guys know, even even in the ghost field, how many times you sit in a dark, empty room or a house or a building waiting for something to happen, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of downtime, there's a lot of boring times, a lot of mm-hmm. quiet times out in the forest or in homes or where nothing happens. So get rid of the preconceived notion that um, something's going to happen every time you go out, and if you condition yourself to that, when something does truly happen that's worthwhile, it makes it more not only enjoyable and exciting for you, but noteworthy as far as documenting and recording the evidence. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I've always said it's like 99% of the time nothing happens, but it's that 1%, you know, it's that one little knock after like five hours and nothing or just a little, Hey, you know, when it comes to, cause you right. know, I have more experience, you know, with ghosts and that yeah. stuff. It's like,
2: yeah, it took me, it took me six months to get any kind of, any kind of Bigfoot activity in Lamar you know,
1: County. I can't say anything so. when it comes to that because I got spoiled really hard, really early. Most of the time when we've gone out, something's happened, but it's turned out that way.
2: Yeah, a couple of times, Eric, uh, Ash and I went out with with Luke Gross and Billy Simmons. I don't know if you ever met Billy Simmons uh, and uh, Tim Clay. And we went out to East Texas and we went out a couple of times. Like the first time we, we got some tree knocks, we got some screens, we got rocks thrown out of us. And I was telling yeah, this is
1: <laughs> my first time ever. Like that was just kind of like a lark, whatever. After we had that conference, it's like, well, we hear sometimes there's some stuff that goes on over here, so let's go check that out. And there's a cemetery there too, so we can hunt for ghosts for the teach these bigfoot people how to do it, and then they can whatever if something shows up there. And of course, it did. First yeah, time out, yeah, never done anything.
2: And I, I told him, I said, man, you better be lucky because <laughs> we'd never get that. At I got all.
1: spoiled because I was like, well, this is what it's like. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think I was just with the right people at the right time at the right time both both times i think you know that that has a lot to do with it it's your energy it's what what you you know and whenever we go out you know we take our time we chill we don't get all hype or whatever and i think more the more you're like oh i need to see it oh i need something oh 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 they're yeah yeah, they're not going to it's not gonna happen so
2: (laughs) yeah erica you do you got any any projects right now that you're, you want to, you want to pitch anything, uh, on the show or you got any projects or any, um,
0: well, um, I've been working on what this COVID stuff started, um, and having a lot of downtime and home time. Um, when I got into the field back in 1980, and that's really truly when I first started investigating, researching, learning historically, um, I started collecting newspaper articles back then. Anything I could find, it was in our local newspaper. Um, Anything in the Pittsburgh newspaper I could find, related whether it was Bigfoot or ghosts or hauntings and that sort of thing. And I built up a real small library, maybe a binder or two, a couple binders of articles. But since this whole COVID thing went down, I decided to kind of um, improve on what I had already started. And a few years ago, Stan Gordon had given me some of his older newspaper articles. Um, His house was flooded. Um, when a hurricane come through Pennsylvania, uh, the remnants of a hurricane had come through Pennsylvania, his basement got flooded. So he needed to move some of his um, newspaper archive reports out. And, and he asked me if I wanted them. So I said, sure. So my two or three little binders suddenly became five or six binders. When the whole COVID thing started, I thought, man, I'm going to try to build on this. So I'm going to start doing some research online and see if I can find newspaper articles. Um, relating to the sightings here in Pennsylvania, whether they be UFOs or haunted locations or Bigfoot. And I started going on different websites, newspaperarchives.com, a couple of those things. And uh, I wanted to make it available not only for myself, my own collection, but to put it out there for the public. And uh, I think in the last four and a half months since I've started working on this, I think I've collected close to 10 or 15,000 newspaper articles wow.
2: Wow. dating
0: back from the 1700s to 2020. Yeah. And I've got probably about eight to 10 binders. Now that each have probably about a thousand articles in each binder. Um, and they're all kinds of things. They're not only, Bigfoot-related, but uh, Loch Ness monster, Mothman, UFOs, haunted locations, right. and they date—they honestly date back to like the 1700s. My first binder, I think, is from the 1700s up to the 1900s, and then from like 1900 to 1970. And I seriously start breaking it down from 70 to 75, 75 to 80, 80 to 85, 90 to 95, and so on, because there were so many articles I collected. And uh, I I have them all scanned. I have them in folders on my laptop. And what I plan to do is um, eventually start putting those articles out there for the public. And these aren't just articles that are from Pennsylvania. They're Pennsylvania newspapers that have written about the subjects. And they could be from California, Texas, Arkansas, Canada, uh, from all over the the globe, really. And these are just articles that I found in Pennsylvania um, newspapers and from everywhere. So it's a huge database of articles.
2: Man, that's, that's impressive. I was, I mean, I, I, I I will say this. I did. I've I've been, like I said, I've been following you on Facebook and I've, I've seen your progress on that. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna let you say it, but, (laughs) but I was going to eventually ask it if, if you didn't say it. So, Um, but yeah, that's, that's impressive, man. Uh, It's a lot of work.
0: Yeah. uh, Well, well, aside from working at home and on weekends when you can't really go anywhere or do anything, I figured, you know, I might as well spend my time researching online, finding these articles. And believe it or not, a lot of these articles are pretty easy to find if you Google certain things or certain topics. And, and these newspaper um, websites, these archive websites like newspaperarchives.com or newspapers.com, there's different websites you can actually buy a, a monthly subscription and start researching keywords like wild men or sasquatch or bigfoot or mothman or ufos or ghosts and hauntings and there are thousands upon thousands of articles that are written and i with just what i have and i'm nowhere near done yet but just what i've started just the tip of the iceberg there's literally still thousands of articles out there i think just for pennsylvania itself when i, I put in all the pennsylvania newspapers And I looked at the keyword Bigfoot. There were like 36,000 articles on Bigfoot. Wow. Now, keep in mind, those aren't all on the creature Bigfoot. There are articles about the monster truck Bigfoot. There Mm. are articles about like TV listings like Bigfoot. The Unforgettable Encounter is going to be on CBS Saturday at 8, you know, TV, TV advertisements and stuff like that. There's a lot of articles like that. The majority of them are related to Bigfoot Sasquatch sightings. So if you enter certain keywords and and dates, like I said, I started in the uh, 1700s trying to find articles. And there was only like one or two, three articles from the 1700s I could find. Mm -hmm. But 1850 forward, that's when it exploded. And I've got a binder probably about 500 articles from the 1800s on Bigfoot and Sasquatch and wild man sightings. And we know Bigfoot really wasn't the, the key that the, the word Bigfoot wasn't coined until 1958, 58, but yep. they talk about, yeah, they talk about Sasquatch in in early reports in the early 1900s, um, especially with the Chehalis uh, nation up in, in British Columbia. But wild man was the, the key word that people talked about. Mm-hmm. And they had wild man encounters and sightings. So I've got hundreds of articles about wild man encounters from all over the country, um, from, the eight, early 1800s, all the way up to 19, the 1900s, it's pretty fascinating stuff.
2: Are you going to are you going to put this on your on your website? Are you going to put it on a different website, or
0: I don't know yet. Um, like I said, it's a lot of information to upload, and it's going to take a lot of time to do that. So I don't know necessarily if it's going to be on my website. I might start a new page and start putting these articles out there. Right now, uh, I'm releasing a couple articles here and there on my from time to time and I have a group um, that I created actually two groups I have it's called Weird and Mysterious Pennsylvania it's a Facebook uh, group okay. and there's a group I created called uh, Mysterious Mysteries of the Chestnut Ridge which is a Facebook group that I share all the articles about the Chestnut Ridge that I, I have okay. and uh, there are a lot of those articles listed there for people to read and download and keep them in their own files but I figured nobody really has done anything like that since Bobby Short and um, you know, put out newspaper articles or historical data like she did. And yeah. I think it's long overdue that somebody puts something like this
2: out there. I love that you mentioned her. I mm-hmm. love I loved her. I-, I never got a chance. Yeah, she was an amazing woman. i never got a chance to meet her, but I talked to her on the phone numerous times and she was an she was a honorary member of T B R C when we first started. I loved her so much and uh, bef- before I got into Bigfoot stuff, I went to her page all the time. And she yep. had, she had one of the best, uh, Bigfoot, you know, websites around. So I love that that you mentioned her.
0: Yeah. She was, uh, a, a very, uh, very steadfast in what she did and a lot of good information she released on her website. I think it's bigfootencounters.com.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Um, Eric, we're about an hour in. I just want to say it's great to finally catch up with you after
0: all these years, and man. Ashley it was nice meeting you as well. You too,
2: man. Eric, thank you, thank you so much for being a part of this, man. I I cannot, you know, I think the world of you. I've always have, and I'm I'm I, I gotta I gotta oh definitely I, I gotta yeah. be a better friend to you. So oh,
0: likewise on this end here too, man. <laughs> um, we we met a long time ago, and, and unfortunately, as you know, life takes you different paths, yeah. pathways, and different directions. But yeah. It's good to hear from you. Good to talk to you after all these years. And, and uh, hey, keep in touch, man. I'm always around.
2: Yes, sir. Alrighty. All
0: right. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a real pleasure. I must be you a G. And so... Goodbye, Bye. And good. Night.
2: Bye.